Good morning, friends. It's good to see you again today. It's good to worship together, remembering the advent of our Savior um, through our Advent readings, candle lighting, singing about his goodness and love towards us. It's a blessing to be together this time of year and, and, in, and enjoy the worship and praise of our Savior together. Which may make my opening question to you sound a little bit ridiculous, but I'm going to ask it anyways, and I want you to think about the answer. Does God like you? I'm not talking about you corporately, you as a group. I'm talking about you personally. Do you think God likes you? And keep in mind, he knows everything about you. If, if your friends knew everything that God knows about you, would your friends like you? Would your spouse like you? If they knew everything that God knows about you, would anyone else like you? We intentionally try to hide the less attractive character qualities about ourselves, don't we? That's what it means to put your best foot forward. That's what we do regularly in human relationships. So the question whether or not God likes us is an important one. He knows every detail about us. People have been wondering about this particular question since the beginning and have done all sorts of things throughout human history to, guide, to try to gain God's favor, to try to convince themselves even that they're okay, that they're likable enough. Throughout human history, people have really wanted to know if God likes them. And if he does, will they bless him? Will he bless them? You remember Adam and Eve were asking this same question after they had sinned. They had run. They had hidden. They were not convinced that God liked them. In fact, if you remember, this was one of Satan's primary strategies in the temptation itself. To get them to question whether or not God truly liked them. You remember his questions to Eve suggesting that, that God couldn't possibly care for her or Adam if he withheld from them. God couldn't possibly really like them if he restricted their freedom. So it's not uncommon to come across verses in the Bible where the character in view or the writer really wants to know whether or not God likes them. And if so, what difference is it going to make? Is he going to bless me? Will my life be better? Does God like me? We see this especially in the Psalms, don't we? Listen to Psalm 80, verses 1 through 3. Give ear. Please listen, God. O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. A plea to know whether or not God likes them. Elsewhere we read things like this. Please don't forsake me. Cast me not from your presence. Please bless me. Please show mercy. Please protect. Don't leave me to my enemies. God, if you like me, please show me that you do. It's all over scripture, isn't it? This question is an important question. These kind of pleas that we read from Scripture are, are so familiar that we forget what they are really and basically about. Whether or not God likes us. Today's verse 
from Psalm 119 is like that. Let me read it for you, and then I'm going to pray and ask God to give us favor this morning. Here it is, Psalm 119, verse 135. Hope your Bibles are open. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. Pray with me. Lord, now as we come to this text that you have inspired, we ask that you would, in fact, show favor on us in keeping our minds from being distracted, keeping our thoughts focused on the text. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would affirm your love for us through these things. Help us understand, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the psalmist was asking this same basic question and asking God to confirm his answer. God, do you like me? If so, will you please have your face shine upon me? Will you please bless me? The answer to this question is very important. Not only will your answer to the question, does God like me, supply peace or not, but it will also determine the level of your joy in the Christian life. Does God like me? Yes or no? It also speaks, of course, to our eternal well-being, doesn't it? Today, my goal is to give you the answer to this very important question and persuade you to come to a settled conviction that God indeed does like you and it should change the way you live because of his love and care for you. So let's look at this verse, and it's obviously in two parts. First part of the verse, second part of the verse. First part of the verse begins with the important idea of living in God's favor. Living in God's favor. The importance of living in God's favor cannot be overstated. It seems that many people don't seem to care whether or not they possess God's favor. They live as atheists or practical atheists at least. And the favor of God seems to hold little or no value to them. This has been the case since the creation of man. Some people believe in God and, and are concerned about his favor. Some people do not and are really, at least seemingly, unconcerned whether or not God favors them. In fact, those of us who, who favor God tend to be in a minority. Those of us who believe in a personal God with whom we will relate to daily and will one day stand before care very much, don't we, about the favor of God. It's an important issue for us, even though it seems the majority don't really care too much. Even the majority of believing folks seem to live their life as though the favor of God isn't a priority to them and how they live. One way to establish the importance of God's favor is to realize that without it, according to Scripture at least, we're hopeless. You know, you don't have to read too far into Scripture. It's established early in the book of Genesis and continues to be so throughout all of Scripture that there is a hopeless condition without the favor of God. When we get to the New Testament, we come across it time and time again. But here I want to read for you from Ephesians 2.12 concerning this. Paul said, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So the Apostle Paul believes that being separate from Christ and without God equals having no hope. Separate from Christ 
Not having a relationship with God equals no hope. No favor, no hope, is what Paul thinks of this, of this question. So without God's favor, we are left to ourselves, not only to make our own way through this life by any means possible, but also moving into the afterlife without any knowledge or assurance of what awaits us there, without God's favor. Many try to substitute God's favor with other things. Uh, we see this also in scripture. God's favor, according to scripture, is the fountain of all goodness, is uh, very important to life. And, and yet many uh, seek something other than God's favor. They, they seek to replace the favor of God with some matter, manner of comfort or contentment in what the world has to offer. It's a, it's a cheap substitute for the favor of God with things that might distract us from that important matter. I think, I think that even as Christians, we can tend to do that. These in this, in this category would seek what the world would offer, to seek fulfillment, to seek joy, to seek peace in this rather than where God intends it to be in his favor of us. As you know, if you know your Old Testament, this is a common theme in the Old Testament prophets. They were constantly concerned with the spiritual well-being of the Israeli people because they were doing this very thing that is so common today, exchanging the favor of God for something earthly, something worldly. In their case, it was pursuing the favor of other kings or pursuing the favor of other kings' gods. And so God would send his prophets in and he would communicate his loving truth to his people in attempts to draw them back, woo them back into a relationship with himself concerning the favor of God versus the favor of man. The prophet Isaiah demonstrated the futility of pursuing other gods for the needs of the soul, and he spent quite a bit of time talking about it. In Isaiah 55, Verse 2, for example, he said, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen to me diligently, he says. Please pay attention. This is very important. Eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food, referring to the true favor of God versus what man or the world may offer. Those things that don't satisfy, ultimately. How do we gain this favor? How is it that we actually apply God's favor or gain God's favor today in our lives? Is it possible? I think Psalm 119 verse 135 gives us an opportunity to address these important questions. Make your face shine upon me, your servant, and teach me your statutes. So let's dive into this verse here and see what we have. This, I've, I've titled the first half of this verse, Living in God's Favor, and then the first point under that is Seeking God's Favor. Isn't that what this, this writer is doing? Isn't he seeking God's favor? Let your face shine upon me, God. Please show me that you like me, is what we read here. Make your face to shine upon your servant. And that face-shining metaphor is taken from the common, everyday occurrence of the sun shining on us, this planet. 
How important is the sun's rays to this planet? Without the sun's rays, how would we be doing? Uh, we would get seriously more impacted than just being a little bit miserable like today with all the fog out there. Without the sun's rays, everything would languish and die, right? That's, that's common, that's basic. Well, the metaphor is attempting to communicate a much more severe problem with not having the favor of God in his shining face towards us. The favor of God is seen as the sun shining on the planet. The favor of God is what we need so that we don't languish and die. In the same way, everything on earth would languish and die without the sun's rays. That's the metaphor. That's the, the story that's trying to be communicated. We must possess this shining face of God. This is the same image that we see in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Again, in Psalm 67, 1, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Everything about God's face shining on us has to do with him being gracious to us and blessing us, demonstrating that he likes us. So how do we get God's favor? How can we be sure that God likes us? Well, there's two ways that I want to point out to you. The first is in the justification of God. God's favor seen in justification. Not only does this metaphor have the idea of shining, like the sun shining, the face of God shining, it, it includes the face of God in the metaphor. And the reason we know that's metaphor is because God doesn't have a face, right? He's spirit. And so the face of God is just as, part of, just as much a part of the metaphor as the shining of that face. The face of God is included here. So when you see, the way to think about this is when you see a new parent gazing joyfully into the face of their newborn with all the amazement, all the wonder, all the excitement, you begin to appreciate the way God looks at us who are in Christ. It's the same kind of face connection that a new parent might have with their newborn. His heart, God's heart, is bursting with joy, anticipation, and wonder as he contemplates his great love for each of us, his children, each of us who are in Christ. Proverbs 16, verse 15 captures this idea. It says, in the light of the king's face there is life. And his favor is like the clouds that bring the spring rain. The light of our King Jesus' face is shining on each and every one of us who are in Christ. We presently have this blessing in hand. We no longer, as the Old Testament saints, saints struggle to experience, have to wonder whether or not God likes us, have to worry about how he's going to respond to our sin, or struggle to experience his shining face on a daily basis. No, we have it in hand in Christ. All the yearnings and pleadings and hoping of Old Testament saints came to completion, came to fulfillment in the shining face of Christ. It says that in a few places, but no better than in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, remember when he said that at creation, let light shine out of darkness. That God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The favor of God 
the shining face of God is seen in Jesus Christ. This is important to know if you're wondering whether or not God likes you. God demonstrates his shining face upon us who are in Christ. Isn't that term or that phrase, in Christ, one of Paul's favorite phrases? Yes, because it says so much about who we are, so much about God's love, so much about his favor towards us. In Christ, we see God's unconditional love. In Christ, we see his unchanging smile. God sent his son to die because he likes us. He does not love us because Jesus died for us. No, that'll get you in trouble. No, Jesus died for us because God loves us. You can't get that backwards. God doesn't love you because Jesus died for you. No, Jesus died for you because God loves you. God's favor. His face is smiling on you. God, the Father, sent God the Son to accomplish his purpose. His plan has been since before time to reconcile, to rescue mankind and love because he likes us. This, of course, is a divine love. It is a divine smile, the shining face of God upon us. So God's favor on us doesn't depend on our efforts, our goodness, but on the person and work of Jesus Christ, something that doesn't change. We're acceptable to God because we are in Jesus Christ. We're not acceptable to him outside of Jesus Christ. This is why it is utterly useless to try to uh, win God's favor by being a good person, by continuing faithfully in marriage or at church, by giving more and more to whatever it is that the church is doing. No, the favor of God shines on us. The face of God shines on us only because of Jesus Christ. The psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 135, is seeking a concrete sense of God's love. And with the advent of God in Jesus Christ, 1,500 years after this verse was written, and 2,000 years before today, all questions of God's love for us, all questions of his favor, have been permanently put to rest. The answer is sure, God likes you. That's really important to know. God likes you. God loves you. He is a God of love. His, faith, his face has shown on you in the incarnation of God himself, Jesus Christ. There is another sense in verse 135 that's before us this morning that God's favor also relates to our obedience and his pleasure at our pursuit of Christ-likeness. That also is in view, and we need to, that says that we need to develop a constant interest in obedience as the favored ones of God. We need to daily seek that smile of God, but not mistake God's smile on our obedience with his unconditional favor. God's favor does not change with your obedience or disobedience. It remains solid, in, unchangeable, secure because of Christ. In other words, you can't behave today to make God's smile better or stronger tomorrow. 
God's favor and smile on you doesn't change with your behavior. His favor on you solely and only rests on Jesus Christ. If you're in Christ, he's smiling on you. His face is shining upon you. He likes you. Not only is God's favor shown to us in justification, that declaration of righteousness, but also in God's sanctification of us. God's favor in sanctification. Not just justification, but sanctification. There are times, Christian, that you may not feel that smile. Maybe you're going through a season right now of discouragement, of hardship, difficulty, where you don't sense the smile of God as you would hope. So the question now is, do you, do you feel God's smile today, right now, right where you sit? Are you experiencing the favor of God right now? Or has your difficulty, has your discouragement, has your despair maybe even made you question the smile and favor of God? Well, I don't want you to mistake trials and difficulty of life for a frowning face of God. That's a misunderstanding. The face of God is constant, and it's a fixed smile on everyone who is in Christ. If you perceive a frown, it's not the frown of God towards you. It is your sin-damaged vision that keeps you from seeing his smiling face clearly. We may feel like God has left us, but that's faulty feeling. That's erroneous thinking. God will never cast us out. You know the verse. He will never turn his back on you. It says this repeatedly in Scripture. 2 Timothy 2.13, I think, is very clear. He says, Paul said, if we are faithless, God remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Is that clear enough for you? Even if you're faithless, God remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. If you are in Christ, friends, you are in God. And it's impossible for God to deny himself. He likes you through thick and thin, through failure and success. The basis of his favor of you is not on your performance. And I think that is a major struggle for many Christians. Don't struggle with that, Christian. Believe the Bible. God can and does, of course, use our sense of his displeasure to draw us closer to himself. God doesn't waste our feelings. He uses them for his glory and his benefit and our benefit. So he can use our sense of displeasure to draw us to himself, to move us out of spiritual apathy, to deepen our affections for him, to develop healthy and godly disposition. He uses it. He doesn't waste those things, those struggles. Many question God's favor because of the hardship that life brings, but get used to a hard life. It's part of living. God's favor isn't a guarantee of an easy life or a comfortable life. Just because you're going through hardship doesn't mean God's favor has waned at all. My argument here, the favor of God seen in sanctification, is that actually is proof of his love for you, your difficulties, your struggles, your hardships. Many times, in fact, God's favor is seen in the midst of trials and is never experienced outside of them. God's favor is seen in severe mercies. 
the death of a loved one, the struggle with health, the loss of a job, are the times when the favor of God becomes more visible in the life of a believer. He takes us through these times to grow our faith, to deepen our affection, to wean us from the world. This is normal Christian living. It's actually confirming of his loving smile. I want you to notice something else important in that first phrase of chapter 119, verse 135. Make your face shine upon your servant. The servant here is reference to the author. It's a personal request. He's making it personal. He's not talking about all of Israel. He's not talking about the priests or the Levites or anybody else. He's talking about himself, the author of this verse. Teach me your statutes. Make your face shine upon me, your servant. The psalmist was personally desperate for God's favor. I think, for the most part, this was true of all Old Testament saints. But their relationship with God was directly connected to the temple and corporate worship. Without that, they had really no relationship with God. They had no personal connection to Christ or his Holy Spirit. They desperately desired intimacy with God, but all they had was the corporate. All they had was the temple. Imagine if all you had was this one-hour service. That's it. You had no other access to God. You would also feel desperate for intimacy and confirmation of his favor. The Old Testament saints were not personally blessed with the continual and permanent presence of the Holy Spirit as we are in our day. You remember Psalm 51, we read that King David pleaded with God not to take away the presence of his Holy Spirit because it was possible. He had experienced it before and he didn't like it. The presence of God remained with his people in the tabernacle for sure. The Holy of Holies, God resided there between the cherubim. But the individual never had that intimate, permanent presence that created a sense of secure certainty of God's favor. Today, as Christians, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God resides in each and every believer. The Holy Spirit is present with us to give assurance, guidance, hope, security. Jesus taught this in John 14 through 16, and Paul taught it in Romans 8 and other places. But with the privilege of God's personal presence, as with most privileges, comes responsibility. With the privilege of God's presence comes responsibility. One's favor with God is now always a personal issue. You always have to be personally engaged. Your church can't engage for you. This country can't engage God for you. Your parents can't engage God for you. It's between you and God. Not your parents and you and God. Not your church and you and God. You and God. Everyone must come face to face with the God of scriptures in a personal way if they are going to benefit from the favor of God. 
It's a personal issue. We must each personally do business with God. And of course, we must each recognize our need for God. We must recognize our sinfulness that required our Savior, Jesus Christ, to come from heaven, to live that perfect life, to die a death for us in our stead. It's a personal issue. One day, you will stand before God the judge, either by yourself or with Jesus Christ. There's no other options. Your parents can't be with you. Your, you know, religious fanatic sister-in-law can't be with you. It's only you and Jesus or you by yourself. It's a pertinent question. Does God like me? <laughs> now let's look at the right disposition that we see in that first line. How does he refer to himself in that first line? Your servant, right? That's an important disposition. In fact, I think it's the only disposition possible in our relationship with God, even with his favor showered upon us in Christ. If you've experienced this favor of God in Jesus Christ, this is our disposition. We must maintain this attitude of servant. And I want to remind you of our studies on the word servant from the original language of Greek and Hebrew. It's not servant, is it? Do you recall? What is it? Slave is actually the term. Our disposition is one of slave. It can be no other way, can it? Are we going to suggest that it's actually us who are the masters in this relationship? Are we telling God what to do and how to do it? Of course not. Are we employees? Is that our disposition? That if I get paid enough, I'll take the job? I would say probably not. Are we volunteers? Many people like to see themselves as volunteers in their relationship and disposition with God. As long as I'm enjoying the situation, I'll continue to participate. But the minute it becomes difficult, forget it. I'm going to withdraw my volunteer status, do my own thing. No. And even the idea of servant isn't all that accurate, is it? No, friends. All these are misunderstandings of the right disposition, which is one of slave. Isn't that the response that we should have to one who loves us so, to one has, who has given so much that we might have the forgiveness of sin, the promise of heaven? Is there any other disposition that makes sense than slave? I would say no. I think scripture would say no. The favor of God, in fact, produces this disposition. The moment you have encountered, truly encountered, the favor of God on a personal level, your disposition changes. Your nature changes. The old has gone away. The new has come. That includes your disposition. Attached to this disposition is the important reality and experience that we learned of in Philippians of joy. It's not a, 
a beaten down slave concept that we're familiar with. No, it is a joyful gospel partner, a joyful slave owner relationship that the New Testament describes between God and his people. And these things, of course, lead to the second half of the verse. Look at it and teach me your statutes. There's the second half of the equation. There's the response to God's favor. There's the sanctification that follows the justification. Since you have had favor on me, God, now teach me, strengthen me, show me how to be faithful. That's the response to grace. That's the response to God's favor. That's how you respond to a God who likes you. Isn't it? Teach me your statutes. Sanctification always follows justification. Obedience always follows God's favor. It's a response of the heart, a desire to obey. The blessing of God's shining face always results in a desire to learn and obey his statutes. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Listen, or, or if it's on the overhead, look closely at this verse, 1 John 5, 1. Watch the sequence. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born. They were already born of God. If you believe in Jesus, it's because God has already shown you his favor. Don't get that backwards. <laughs> no, you don't believe in Jesus and then receive his favor. No. The Apostle John says, you receive God's favor, then you believe. And then along with belief comes what? A love for God's people. God shows his favor to us in Christ Jesus. This creates a, a, a belief in Jesus Christ and a love for Jesus' people. That's the sequence. It's a natural sequence. It's, it's reflected right here. Make your face shine upon me. Show me your favor. Then I'll obey your statutes. It's all over scripture. This is Christianity 101. When God shines his favor on you, the first thing you do is believe in Jesus. Then you begin to love God and his people. The truths in this short verse in Psalm 119 are the key to a joyful and productive Christian life. God's face has shone on you, Christian. Don't doubt it. Believe the scriptures. You don't have to impress him. You don't have to cower in his presence after you have sinned. You don't have to wonder whether or not he truly likes you or worry that he's going to send you away or bar you from his presence. Why? Because he's had favor on you in Jesus Christ. You are loved. He likes you. Listen to these verses from the pen of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 and see if you have an argument with the love of God. Watch and listen. In love he predestined you for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. How did he do that? In love. According to the purpose of his will. God wasn't pressured into loving us by his son. No. God the Father 
lovingly planned and sent his son to fulfill the plan to demonstrate his love. So much of the time we get it backwards. No, friends, God loves us. In love, he, God the Father, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, that is Jesus Christ. In him, Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of God's grace, which he lavished on us in Christ in all wisdom and insight. Does God like you? A lot. Every month, we take pains at Sun Valley Church to remind you how much God likes you. To remind you how much God loves you. Anybody want to guess how we do that? Happens once a month. And then include these gold trades up here. Or brass trades. I'm pretty sure they're brass, not gold. So don't get any ideas. The contents of these brass trays are designed to remind you of God's favor towards you. They're, they're, they're designed to actually show you without, without reservation, without any question, that God really, really likes you. What do we have? What are the elements? What are the contents? A little piece of bread and some juice. Christian, you, you know the answers to these questions, but I'm saying it to remind you. The little piece of bread reminds us, that little piece of broken bread, reminds us of the broken body of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Because he loved you, his, his Son's body was broken for you. And then the juice represents and reminds us of his spilt blood, which takes away all your sin which rescues you, which restores you to a loving relationship with God and his son, Jesus Christ. These elements that we serve you every single month are designed to remind you that God likes you. We don't want you to take them in any other way. We want, certainly want you to consider your life and whether or not your life is a reflection of God's love, that, that you are following obediently um, with Christ. But bottom line, most important, that God loves you. And he's demonstrated to that, that to us in a way that cannot be misunderstood. Jesus Christ came from heaven to die for you. Is that enough proof for you that God likes you? I hope so. If you know Jesus, if you've received his favor, these elements are for you today. Take them. Rejoice in them. Be reminded of God's love for you. And then go away this afternoon rejoicing in how much he likes you. I'm going to um, pray over the elements that we serve you. Then I'm going to um, read the words of institution from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 
And then I'm going to ask you to come forward, and we're going to serve you. Um, Josh, you're going to help me today. You can come on forward. Josh and I are going to serve you, these elements, uh, and remind you personally of how the, the body and blood of Christ given for you remind you of his love and favor for you. All right, so I'm going to pray. I'm going to read these words of institution, then I'm going to invite you forward. So pray with me if you would. Lord Jesus, now as we come to the elements that are before us that are a reflection of your sacrifice for us, the broken bread, the, the juice, the broken body, the blood, we are once again reminded and our, our heart's response is overwhelming joy and confidence that you love us, that you genuinely like us. Oh Lord, show mercy to those in this room right now who are weak and weary and are struggling to see your smile, who may be focused more on your frown. God, remind them here from what we've heard today of how much you love them, how much you like them. Restore us. Renew us through these elements. I pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.